Okay, very good morning, brethren and friends. Uh, it's good to see all of you here this morning. And we welcome you to the worship services of uh, Eastside Church of Christ. I think some of us, many of us are actually waiting to hear from Cornelius this morning. Uh, but unfortunately, he's down with COVID and his throat is not feeling well. Uh, so I'll be taking over him this morning. Uh, please keep him in prayers that uh, you have a speedy recovery. Uh, this morning, I've chosen to speak on the topic, Be it unto me according to your word. And this is actually a phrase that is taken from Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. And so this morning, we are going to look at the character of uh, Mary and see what are some of the lessons that we can learn in a humble submission to God's word. You know, when I think about the people who are after God's own heart, who do we think of when we look at a man that is after God's own heart? I think most of us will probably think of the name David. Uh, okay? And indeed, we see that David was commanded by God. He was actually called by a name as a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, we see that King Saul actually sinned against God because he made an unlawful sacrifice. And so because of that, Samuel told him that his kingdom shall not continue because the Lord has sought for him a man after his own heart. The Lord had commanded him to be captain over his people because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded you. So when we talk about a man after God's own heart, we see that the Bible indeed ascribed David to this honour. He was a man after God's own heart. In fact, in the inspired account, in Acts 13 verse 23, or rather verse 22, we see that Paul spoke about David as a man after God's own heart who shall fulfill all of David's will. And so we know that when we think about a man after God's own heart, the name David automatically comes to mind. Well, how about a woman after God's own heart? Who would you think of? I think many of us have maybe our own personal favourites, huh? Uh, maybe you even think that your wife is a woman after God's own heart. would be very good. Okay, but I think uh, Mary, the mother of our Lord, will be well-deserving of the honour. In fact, when we consider that how Mary found favour in the sight of God, in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, we see that the angel Gabriel came to announce to her about the birth of Jesus, her miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, 28, it says, The angel came to her and said, Heal, thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women. So notice, Mary found favor in the sight of God. In fact, not just favor, but high favor. So she was someone that was highly favored by God. And this morning, we shall contemplate why that is so. In fact, this is repeated again in verse 30, where the angel told her not to fear, because she has found favor with God. And so we see that Mary was a woman after God's own heart, because she submitted fully to God's will, in declaring that, be it unto me according to your word. This phrase might sound very simple, might sound very simplistic. It might be something that sounds easy to do, but today we will examine the circumstances and we will see that it's something that is probably quite challenging to her at that point in time in submitting herself to God's will. In fact, in considering about Mary, I will consider her to be the epitome of the virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31. You know, Proverbs 31, the mother of King Lemuel, described to him the virtuous woman. And one of the things that he says of this virtuous woman is that her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And I'm sure Mary will be someone who is well praised by her children, by her husband even, because she was indeed a virtuous woman. But not only was she praised by her family, in fact, consider how she is praised by others as well. Remember her cousin Elizabeth, when she came to look for Mary, she declared her to be blessed are thou among women in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. And in fact, Mary herself acknowledged that 
all nations, all generations shall call me blessed. She knew that she was going to receive such high favor from God that in fact, generations after her who called her a blessed woman. In Luke chapter 1, verse 48. So this is one woman who not only her family blesses her, the whole generation that will come to come will all bless her as the mother of our Lord Jesus. And so in this morning's lesson, we shall consider why Mary was such a highly favored person in the sight of God and how she fully submitted herself to the word of God. Be it unto me according to your word. This is something that was a mantra, even if it was troubling to her. Consider the message that came to Mary at the point in time uh, when she was conceived of Jesus. We see that it was a troubling message to her. In fact, in Luke chapter 1 verse 29, when she saw the angel Gabriel, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this shall be. At verse 28, what was the salutation? The angel had said, Heal thou art highly favoured, the Lord is with you, Blessed are thou among women. You might probably wonder, why is it that a blessing came upon her, but yet she is troubled? But we see that she submitted herself to God's word even if it troubled her. But what were the circumstances that caused her to be troubled? Well, consider the fact that this was an angel that came to her, that appeared to her. You remember that because of the Israel disobedience, because of the rejection of God, there will be 400 years of silence. The last prophet that prophesied the Old Testament was Malachi about 400 BC. Subsequently, there was no revelation from God. No miracles, no vision given to them. Because of their hard-heartedness, God says there will be a famine. In fact, Amos had prophesied about that in Amos 8, verse 11, verse 12. Where Amos said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. But this famine is not a famine of, of bread, nor a thirst of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. So this was the prophecy about the 400 years of silence okay, uh, in, the, in the intertestamental period whereby there will be no revelation from God at all. Okay. And he says that they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek of the Lord and shall not find it. So can you imagine after 400 years there is no revelation from God? Suddenly, the first thing you see is an angel appearing before you and says that you are highly favoured by God. They will probably come as a shock to her. She will probably thinking to herself, am I seeing things? Is it really God talking to me when he has not spoken by any prophets for 400 years? That was indeed something that troubled her. You know, sometimes when people have things that trouble them, what will be their response? Ah? Okay. Maybe they'll try to brush it off. Uh, better don't talk to me. I walk away. Uh, it's something that I'm not sure how to deal with it. I walk away. It's not my business. But we see that Mary was not someone like that. Even though she did not understand what this message might mean, even though she might not understand why it's God's will at this point in time, we see that whenever she meets with difficulties, what she does is that she keeps God's word in her heart. Many times when we do it, when it troubles us, the word of God troubles us, we brush it away. But for Mary, she kept the words in her heart. At a point in time, until she could understand what these words mean. Consider in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, where the shepherds came and brought her news about how they seen the star of Jesus and came to worship him. She did not understand, but the Bible tells us that she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Consider how when Jesus was lost in Jerusalem, when they went to worship at the age of 12, and when she came back and looked for Jesus, Jesus says, Know you not that must be about my father's business. Again, she didn't understand that. The words probably troubled her. What do you mean by you are going about your father's business? But the Bible tells us that the mother kept the sayings in her heart. She was someone that even though God's word may come as a trouble to her, may trouble her, 
even though she may not understood, but she kept God's word in her heart nonetheless. This is in contrast to others, others who challenge the word of God when it troubled them. You see, when there are times when people are faced with God's word that prick their hearts, that trouble them, what will they do? Instead of submitting to God's word, they will challenge the word of God. We consider about the judge, Gideon. Remember, Gideon also received a very troubling message. He was being suppressed, oppressed by the Midianites. He was there trashing wheat in the field, or rather in secret. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and told him, say, the Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. A similar kind of outcome as Mary, right? The angel appearing and bringing great tidings to him. Say, the Lord is with you. You are favoured by God. God is with you. He chose you. But what was Gideon's response? Notice Gideon actually was quite sceptical. Uh. He was doubtful of whether God is truly with us. In fact, he says to the angel, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then is all this befallen us? Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see, to Gideon, it was a very troubling message. Because at that point in time, they were suffering. They were suffering oppression for the Midianites. In the book of Judges, you see that there will be seven cycles of sin. Then they plead to God, and God restored them. And they go back to sin again. Whenever they go into sin, we see that God brought suffering upon them. He allowed their enemies to oppress them. And so at this point in time, he was someone who feared God, but yet he was troubled by the suffering that he went through. He said at times, also when, when God's word troubles us, what do we do? We question God. When our faith, our belief in certain things, doctrines that we've proven to be false, okay, when we read the word of God and we find that this is not what I believe all along, what do we do? We question God. We find fault with his word to say that, oh, the Bible is inconsistent. The Bible has loopholes. The Bible has errors. Well, the problem is not with the Bible. It's with our own set of thinking. Do we submit to God's word or do we challenge God's word? Consider another man by the name of Jonah. Jonah was very troubled as well. You see, Jonah received a message from God asking to speak to the people of Nineveh, the Ninevites. These were people who were cruel, who were barbaric, who were oppressors of Israel. If you read the history of the Assyrians, they were very cruel people. They crucified people. They tore the bellies of those who were pregnant. They dashed their babies on the rocks. These were people that probably Jonah think that they did not deserve the gospel. For all the evils that they had done to the people, Jonah did not want them to be saved. In fact, he knew that subsequently, Jonah, the Assyrians would oppress and come into uh, possession of Israel. And that was probably something that he did not want. And so when God told him to go and preach to the Ninevites, he was hesitant because he was afraid that the message might prick them and they might repent, which actually they did. And so what happened when the word of God troubled him? Well, he chose to run away from God. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, we see that Jonah rose up to flee from Tarshish, flee unto Tarshish from the presence of God. He went to Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish, he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This was someone whose word, who was troubled by the word of God and what did he do? He chose to run away from the problem. You know, sometimes the word of God also troubles us, isn't it? When we read about it, it troubles us, it pricks our heart. And what do people do? Sometimes they do not like their sins to be re re revealed. They do not have to look at what the Bible has to say about the sins, the secret sins that they have. And so what they do? They run away from God. They say that, I will not read the Bible. I do not want to study the Bible because every time I read about the Bible, it pricks me. It makes me feel very uncomfortable, but yet I cannot harmonize the teaching. 
I'm not willing to change, but yet every time I read the Bible, it troubles me. And so they choose to run away from God. And so brethren, the question for us to consider then is, what is our response when the word of God troubles us? When we feel a niggling feeling when we read the Bible, and we feel that we are not right with God, what do we do? Do we challenge God? Challenge His authority? Challenge the words of God? Do we say that I don't want to read anymore? It's so troubling to me. Every time I read, I get frustrated. My mood gets affected. I do not want to read the word of God. That was what happened to Israel, isn't that? He said, don't preach to us about the word of God's word. Tell us lies, tell us deceit. They did not want to hear God's word. But on the other hand, when Mary was troubled by the word of God, she kept God's word. She submitted herself to God's word. She said, be it unto me according to your word. Do we respond like her? Do we respond like the 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost who obeyed the gospel? Remember, they were so troubled, right? Uh, when Peter preached the first sermon, he actually revealed to them that they were the murderers who knew Jesus on the cross. Okay? In fact, Jesus, uh, Peter concluded by saying, this same Jesus, God had made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is a very troubling message uh, to know that, oh, the person that we knew on the cross that we thought was an imposter, that we thought was someone who was opposed to God, turned out to be the, the God himself, turned out to be the Messiah. We have done the wrong thing. A lot of time people, when they are confronted with that, they cannot handle it because they don't want to know that they have done the wrong thing. But what was the response of these people when they hear this? The Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. Their heart was touched. They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And of course, as we know it, they obeyed the gospel, they repent and they were baptized, and they were added to the Lord's church. They knew that they were not doing the right thing, and they made themselves right with God. But we find ourselves in contradiction to God's word. Do we do the same thing? To repent, to change our ways, to make ourselves right with God. And so Mary set a good example for us. Be it unto me according to your word, even if it troubles us. We see that Mary also submitted herself to God's word, even if the word seems unbelievable to her. You see, in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, when the angel told Mary that she will conceive, she was troubled, she was amazed. In fact, she was incredulous because she said to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Of course, we know that this is the only case of miraculous conception whereby a virgin will conceive. And so, by the normal logic, this seems very unbelievable. But yet, Mary submitted herself to God's word, no matter how unbelievable it may seem. You see, that the conception that she has was not an ordinary conception. We know by the ordinary course of nature, no virgin will get conceived. Oftentimes, it's through a sexual union between a man and a woman that the woman can conceive a child. And so when it came to a message came to her that she will be pregnant, she will have a pregnancy, it might be something that is very unbelievable. I do not know how it's going to happen because no one ever in history ever had this experience before. And so we see that this was a miraculous conception as revealed by the angel Gabriel. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And so the angel revealed to her how she will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And what will happen to her when she, when, when she heard this message? Well, some people, when they hear a message that they cannot believe, right, they will choose to ignore it. Huh? They choose not to, not to believe it. But for Mary, it's the contrary. The Bible tells us that she believed the things that were told her from the Lord. And how do we know that? Subsequently, we see that her, her cousin Elizabeth 
came to visit her. Okay. And in the words of Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So blessed is her she believed. And when the person believed, we see that God will perform what he has promised. And so by this, by this uh, statement that is being made by Elizabeth, we know that Mary did believe. Because Mary did receive a performance of the things, and she was blessed among women. In fact, we consider her response in contrast to Zechariah, okay, which we'll talk about later. His, uh, his cousin-in-law, Zechariah, did actually believe, and he was struck down. But Mary, we see that there was no punishment, so it tells us that she did believe. In fact, Elizabeth acknowledged that she trusted in God, even though the word of God seemed very unbelievable and unlikely to happen. But in contrast to Mary's uh, uh, response, we see that there are many others who challenge God's word when the word of God seems unbelievable to them. Consider in the days of King Jehoram. If you look at the Second Kings chapter six and chapter seven, we see that what happened there was under the time of uh, uh, Jehoram. They were actually at war with Syria, and so Syria, in order to uh, make try to make Israel, sorry, Syria tried to make Israel surrender by having a siege around them. It was a prolonged siege, and so what happened when there was a siege? Things could not go out, could not come in, and the price of things went up. There was a famine, a severe famine in the land. In fact, it was so severe that mothers wanted to eat their children. It was so severe that the price of things even went up. They even eat donkeys droppings, dove droppings as well. So that was how severe, how terrible the famine went. And the people were really suffering at that point in time. But Elisha eventually brought a message to them to tell them that the famine would go away. In fact, the price of things would go down. Can you imagine such a news that tell you say suddenly the price will go down? Today we are faced with a high inflation in Singapore. Imagine I tell you say tomorrow the price of things will go back to the 1960s. Uh, your bowl of noodles, five cents only. Uh. Would you believe it? I don't think anyone will believe, right? Because it says unbelievable. They were facing a famine for so long. But Elisha told them that the next day, the things will go back to normal again. The famine will be lifted. It seems very incredible because the Syrian army was so strong. And so we see that Jehoram had an officer by him who actually mocked God. Uh, okay? The Lord, who on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God, as Elisha, and said, Behold, if God will make windows in heaven, might these things be? And he said, Behold, you shall see with your eyes, but you shall not eat thereof. So this man actually challenged God. He mocked God. If God can see, uh, do you think there will be suffering? So his logic is that, since there is suffering, there is no God. Today, there are a lot of people who have the same idea. If there is a God, why is there so much pain, suffering in the world? They, do not, they cannot reconcile the idea that there is a just God, a loving God with all the suffering. They do not recognize that actually suffering can actually bring about benefits, such as training our faith, training our character, helping us to be toughened up. And so this man didn't believe in God. He mocked God and said that, can these things be? But Elisha told him, say that you shall see it, but you shall not eat of it. Because subsequently you see that he was trampled by people, and then he died. This man did not believe God because the word seemed incredible, and we see that he mocked God. Again, today, when we are talk, told about things that are incredible to us, do we mock God as well? Today you, told, you tell your friends about God, you tell them about, about Jesus. What do they tell you? Oh, if there's a God, ask Him to appear before us. Some even have audacity to challenge God. Okay, if there's a God, let Him strike me. Let me get, get, uh, get stricken with disease. They challenge God. They mock God because they don't believe that there is a God. But we see that Mary, on the other hand, she submitted herself to the Word of God. 
Consider also Zechariah, whom we mentioned earlier. Okay, this was the cousin-in-law of Mary. He doubted God when such a thing happened. When you were told that uh, John the Baptist would be conceived by his wife. Okay, why was that so? Consider that this was a man of God. Uh, Mulebel referred to him as a blameless. He was a priest. He was a blameless man. But this was an incredible message again. Why? Because they were old in age. He and his wife were old in age. And the wife was barren. So medically, scientifically, it was impossible for her to conceive. And so when the angel, uh, Gabriel, brought the news to him that the, the wife would conceive, uh, John the Baptist, okay, he did not believe. And so in verse 20 of Luke chapter 1, the angel said, Behold, you shall be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because you believe not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. So you see, when, when I faced with a message that was unbelievable to him, Zacharias doubted God's word. He did not believe that God would actually perform what he has said. Again, many times today, when people are faced with news, faced with uh, the, the word of God that uh, brings about a message that is unbelievable to them, we see that they also doubt God. They begin to question God. They begin to think that, is it possible? The Bible tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the things shall be added to us. We ask ourselves, do we, if we worship God, does He put food on the table? Why do we give thanks to God? Does He actually bring bread from heaven? We question God. We doubt what God says. And so, brethren, friends, what is our response when the Word of God seems unbelievable to us? It seems incredible to us. What is our response? We consider how Mary submitted to herself, to God, to the Word of God, when others question God's Word. And what is our response when we are faced with an incredible message? Do we respond like Peter? This is a very interesting example. Because you see, when Peter was, uh, when Jesus was on Peter's boat uh, preaching, after that he asked Peter to launch out the deep for a catch. What was Peter's response? Simon Peter said to Jesus, Master, we have toyed all night and taken nothing. You see, this was a fisherman who knew his trade very well, uh, who knew his craft very well. He was fishing the whole night. There was no catch of fish. And now Jesus, a carpenter, tried to teach a fisherman how to fish. He says, touch your net for a catch. I've done around the surrounding area. I know the waters very well. There is no fishes here. But notice what was Peter's response. He says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. This was a man who really trusted in Christ's words, isn't it? Even though Jesus wasn't someone who is familiar with fishing. Even though they had tried their best by the experience, they really knew that there was no fish. But he believed in Jesus, and indeed the catch was so much that the net actually was beginning to tear. They had to get help to bring up the fishes. So by listening to God's word, we see that he received a blessing. So today, what is our response when God's word seems unbelievable to us? You know a lot of times God gives us commandments in the Bible, but we don't know the reason for so doing. Why did God choose the first day of the week to worship Him? Well, we may not know the answer. Okay. Of course, it's a significant day because Christ rose from the dead. Uh, because we see that that was when the church worshipped. Uh, we saw that on the day of Pentecost, that was when 3,000 souls were added to the Lord's church. But why particularly Sunday? We may not have the answer. But do we just follow God because He says that? Or do we question and challenge God's authority? Why can't I worship on Friday? Why can't I worship on Saturday? Another case in point, you know, sometimes people accuse the Lord's church of being chauvinistic. They say that, why is it that you don't allow women to preach, to teach, to be elders, to be deacons? Well, the fact is because God has commanded us so in His Word, and so we respect His authority. People will argue, is it that women today are as capable as men, or even more capable? So, capable, uh, and I will probably agree with that. 
And isn't it today that there is equality between men and women? Again, I will agree with that. But sometimes we may not know the reason why God has put that in place. The Bible does tell us in 1 Timothy 2 that there is a pattern where man was made before woman and woman sinned first and man was not in the transgression. But beyond that, we do not know why God put men in the leadership role and why women have to be submissive role and they are not able to take the lead. We may not have the answer. But even though it seems unbelievable to us, will we respond in humble submission to God's will to do what He has commanded? We see that Mary did. She said, Be it unto me according to your word, even though the word was unbelievable to her. Thirdly, we see that Mary submitted herself to God's will even though it may cause embarrassment to her. In Luke chapter 2 verse 5, Luke chapter 2 in particular, we see that there was a census that was conducted whereby the people had to go back to their own city to be taxed. They had to register for the tax in the days of Caesar Augustus. Okay. And so we see Joseph had to go back to his hometown, which is Bethlehem. And Mary went with her as well. In fact, Luke chapter 2 verse 5 tells us that she was to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, and she was great with child. So notice that at this point in time, she was heavily pregnant with child. Did she make the excuse to say that, yeah, I'm so heavily pregnant, maybe I should not uh, follow the king's commandment. She still went. It would have caused much embarrassment to her because people will know that she's espoused, she's engaged to Joseph. But yeah, not yet married, but yet she's found with child. The logical deduction that anybody will make will probably be that this woman was unfaithful. She's now heavily pregnant. But even though God's word, by following God's word, it would embarrass her, we see that Mary still submitted herself to God's will. In fact, it was a great risk to her, wasn't it? Because she was at a great risk of losing her husband even. Can you imagine that just before your wedding night, uh, come on, uh, uh, imagine you are in the marriage place, that you are engaged, and the angel told you that you'll be pregnant. You'll probably say that, hey, don't sabo me, uh. I'm going to, get pre- going to get married soon, later my husband don't want me how. But yet for her, she, she said, be it unto me according to your word. It was a great risk. In fact, Joseph was contemplating about it as well. Okay. You look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, where it tells us that Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Okay. You see, Joseph wanted to put her away. It was not because he was selfish or egoistic, but actually it was more to protect her. Right? Because remember what was the punishment under the old law. If a woman is found guilty of adultery, the penalty is death by stoning. So probably he wanted to avoid the embarrassment and avoid causing her pain. He put her away privately so that she probably can remarry and then she will not have to uh, suffer the death by stoning. You're probably trying to protect her. But in any case, it will be a great risk to her. Probably a risk of losing her husband and even the risk of losing her own life. If people see that she's pregnant, probably she will, they will co- conclude that she has committed adultery and they might want to stone her. So it was a great risk to her personal interest even to her own personal life, but she submitted herself to God's word. And after she delivered Jesus, okay, she could have told herself, you know, bring up a child like Jesus, uh, you're going to be a, a lot of responsibility, uh, bring up uh, the son of God. And besides that, this is not Joseph's own, uh, own son, uh, in the sense of his physical flesh. Uh, uh, maybe it might be better to let him be adopted, send him away to someone else. People who do not like responsibility will probably think that way. In fact, she will probably have the opportunity to do so. Uh. Remember at the age of 12, when they went to Jerusalem to worship uh, on the Passover, the Feast of Passover, okay, Jesus got lost, right? So that could be a good time to say, okay, now Jesus is gone. Uh, now I can move on with my life. Let me go back home and start my life afresh. 
but not she did not do that. In fact, she submitted herself to God's will and seek for Christ. She did not want to give up on what God had told her to do, her responsibility towards the Son of God. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Jesus said to them, How is it that you have sought me? Wish it not that I must be about my Father's business. So even though the Word of God caused her to suffer embarrassment, but yet she submitted herself to God. She sought for God. She sought for the Lord. On the other hand, when others are faced with embarrassment with the Word of God, what do they do? Again, they challenge the Word of God. We see how John the Baptist actually embarrassed Herod uh, when he told her it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. What did Herod do? We see that Herod laid hold on John, bound him in prison for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. This was a man whose sin was being exposed to others. He told him publicly that it is not lawful for you to marry the wife of your brother. It is adultery. It's an adulterous union. It's not recognized by God. And so for the sake of his own face, we see that Herod now locked up John the Baptist. Well, I don't think anybody will lock me up today uh, for preaching things that might not be pleasant to the ears. I don't think you will kidnap me and bring me to a dungeon to lock up. Okay. But sometimes we lock up preachers or teachers of God's word, figuratively speaking. Isn't that so? We shut our ears from them. We say, that, oh, this brother, every time I teach about things that are unpleasant to my ears, I do not want to listen to him. I will be enemies with him. I will be hostile to him. That's how we imprison people who preach the truth. But yet, we see that Mary did not do that. She continued to submit herself to God's word. We also see another example of the Jewish leaders who did not want to confess Jesus because it was embarrassing to them. We see that the Jewish leaders, a uh, majority of them were uh, at loggerheads with Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, time and again, they found fault with Jesus. And so you can imagine if people sided with Jesus, definitely they will kick them out. In fact, that was what they feared. Because in John chapter 12, verse 42 tells us, among the chief rulers, many believe on Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They were afraid that if I confess Jesus, I'll be kicked out. My status will get lowered. I'm now a chief, chief uh, one of the chief uh, leaders, the chief rulers in the synagogue. But by confessing Jesus, my status will go down to the lowest. I'll be ostracized by people. I'll be rejected by people. My community will outcast me. And so they refuse to confess Jesus. How about us today? If today people know that we are Christians, are we proud of identity? Or do we have our identity, are scared to let people know that we are Christians? Especially if they question us about our beliefs. Hey, you don't drink, why you don't drink? Or for health reasons, I don't drink. Or do we, or do we uh, proudly tell them that I'm a Christian, I cannot drink? I remember when I was younger, uh, a, a smaller boy, uh, when I was still studying, uh, uh, at the point in time, I was quite, quite afraid to tell people I'm a Christian. Uh. Okay, whenever I pray, right, I will just open my eyes and pray in my heart uh, so that people won't know that I'm praying. Okay? And I never ever tell my classmates that I was a Christian when I was in primary school, or rather in you know, secondary school. Okay? Because I feel that uh, it will, they will judge me because I was quite a naughty boy uh, when I was younger. Okay? So a lot of times, we have that kind of mentality. Uh, I do not like to tell people I'm a Christian because they will hold me to a higher standard. Okay? They will know that I'm a Christian and I cannot do certain things that are wrong. Okay? Things that I may enjoy. Or they will ask me why I'm not going to church on Sunday. Maybe I do not want to do that. So do we submit to God's word even if it may cause embarrassment to us? Even if people will criticize us, people will mock us? Are we proud of our identity as being Christians? And so brethren and friends, what is our response when the word of God causes embarrassment for us? Do we submit ourselves to God's will like Mary? Or do we challenge God's word like others? 
remember that there was a case, another case, and where another king was confronted with his sin. Okay. Uh, we talk about how John the Baptist confronted Herod with the sin. Herod locked him up. This was another king, King David. Okay. This was someone who is popular with the people. Okay. Someone who is respected as a man of God. But he committed a very abominable sin. He committed adultery okay, with his captain's wife. In fact, he murdered his own captain by saying to the front of the wall to get him killed. Can you imagine the kind of repercussions will happen to him if people find out about the sin? How the king that I hold dear to my heart, I respected, he committed adultery while his men were fighting. Not only that, he killed his loyal servant. There's a lot much at stake for him to lose if people were to find out. And when, I said, when Nathan came to confront him, it was a private confrontation. If he won, he could have silenced the messenger, killed him, no one would know about it. But what did David do when he was confronted with truth? It was an embarrassing truth. But David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's why this is a man after God's own heart. Because even though it caused him a lot of public embarrassment, but yet this man was willing to change himself, to permit his fault, to admit his sin, in order to make himself right with God. You know, a lot of times when we talk about public confession, a lot of people are hesitant to do it. Huh? Even though they may have sinned publicly, they say, oh, I'll just pray to God in private. Uh, because it's very embarrassing to let people know that I've sinned. Okay? For example, you talk about sins that are public, like missing the assembly. Okay? It's a public sin. Or maybe things that are people widely known by people. But yet we are hesitant to make public confession. It causes a lot of embarrassment. But will we do it if we know that that will make us right with God? It's what God requires of us. Okay? Uh, the Bible says, confess your faults one to one another and pray for one another. Okay? If we have offended people, we need to make ourselves right with them and then with God. Do we do that? Or do we... Do we, uh, do, we, or do we run away from God's word? And lastly, we see that for Mary, it's much more commendable because she submitted herself to God's word. Be it unto me according to your word, even though it led to tremendous suffering for her. You see, there was a prophet Simeon who revealed to her what would happen. Okay? And in Luke chapter 2, verse 35, he says, A sword shall pierce your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Of course, this words in the bracket actually refers to Jesus' death and how Jesus' death would trick her as a mother. So even though we don't read about Mary's or what she went through when Jesus was on the cross, but we know that just as Jesus suffered, she must have also suffered as well. Parents, when you see your child suffering, when you see your child being sick, a lot of times it's the case that you wish that you were the one being sick in that place. So can you imagine a mother seeing a son on the cross? How painful that must have felt. She witnessed the death of her own son. In fact, it's one of the greatest tragedies that happened on earth. Chan Yi ever saying, very sad. A parent has to send off a child. That is the most tragic thing a parent has to go through, to see their child die before them. Not only just die, and the most painful death anybody will go through, death by crucifixion. I can imagine that when the stakes were being driven into Jesus' hand, it must be as if the sword was piercing her soul as well. That's what Simon prophesied. And in fact, we see John chapter 19, verse 25, it says, There stood by the court of Jesus, his mother. Jesus' mother was with him, even in his last moments, witnessing the death of her son. But, a lot of times, people in such a situation, what would they do? They'll probably say that, Ayah, I don't want to hold on to my faith anymore. Why God allow me to go through so much suffering in life? But, we see that was not Mary. In fact, the last time we'll see of Mary is that of a faithful example. Even though Jesus died, her own son died, she suffered much in her life, but yet she continued in steadfast devotion to God. The last time we see the mention of her in Acts chapter 1, and it was a very encouraging sight. 
because you see that she was together with the 120 disciples in one accord in prayer and supplication. You notice this woman went through such a tra terrible tragedy in her life, but yet she still was faithfully worshipping God in humble devotion to God. Such is the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, we know how people sometimes respond when they are faced with sufferings in their life. We see that the issue like a bit of pain only, a bit of discomfort only, they will start to complain. We go through our studies in the adult class talking about Exodus and Numbers. A lot of times, uh, I think when I lost count, uh, I counted about at least seven times uh, that they complain. When I got food, complain no water. When I got water, complain no food. Alternate. Okay. And when I got food, complain no meat. Complain, complains and complains. A little bit of discomfort and they will complain. In fact, we look at one instance in Exodus 14. Just after they came out of Egypt, they complained. They said to Moses, Is it that there were no graves in Egypt? You have taken us to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt tasks with us to carry us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It's better off for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They forgot what they had said. Huh? They were not who asked for God's deliverance. But now they say that, Did I not tell you? I told you so. I wanted to stay in Egypt to suffer. I wanted to serve the Egyptians. Why do you force me to go out? Well, Moses didn't force them. Moses actually gave them a better life. But yet, these people complain against God. How about us as Christians? We complain when we suffer because of the sake of God's word. When we suffer persecution, when we face our ridicule from others, do we also complain as well? Some people may even go even worse, go a step further. We see how Job's wife spoke against God. She spoke to Job. Remember Job, how he lost everything. Lost his servants, lost his cattle, lost his health, his children even. And then Job's wife said, Do you retain your integrity? Curse God and die. There are those that in their deep sorrow, in their suffering, they will actually curse God. There are Christians who say that they left the faith because they blame God for all that they go through in life. Well, how do we respond when we are faced with suffering? When we face persecution for doing the right thing, for, doing the, for speaking the right thing, how do we respond? And so brethren and friends, what is our response when God's word leads to our suffering? We see that how the apostles respond. We see that when they were being persecuted, when they were being punished, they count, we rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Today we know that we are living in a times where it's getting more and more sensitive religion. Uh, recently the government uh, announced that they are going to repeal uh, 377A. I can expect that, that there will be people who, are, who will be more intolerant of religions who speak out against uh, homosexuality, against abortion, because it's against God's word. Do we still hold fast our stand? Or do we our stand change in order to fit with what society wants us to, to say? Okay. Will we continue to preach God's word even though we suffer? Will we call it a joy to suffer for the Lord's sake? And so brethren, this morning we have discussed about why Mary found favour with God. She was chosen as the Lord's mother. A very great honour indeed. Because she was someone who submitted herself fully to God. She said, Be it unto me according to your word. Even if God's word troubled her, even it might not, it might not believe, seem believable to her, even though it causes her great embarrassment, even though it causes her great suffering. But yet, Mary submitted herself to God's word wholeheartedly. You might wonder, why go through so much hassle? Why go through so much problem when you have to hold to what is right? Well, the keyword is what is mentioned in Luke 1 38. Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Okay. Or the King James Version says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word maidservant or handmaid is interesting. Uh. It's from the Greek word dule, which means a female slave, a born maid, a handmaid. You see, Mary, why did she submit herself to God? Because she saw herself as a slave to God. A slave has no rights. A slave has no privileges. So she was only glad to have the opportunity to serve the master to do whatever he wants her to do. In fact, slaves uh, are the lowest in the society at the point in time, the Romans, uh, Roman period. Okay. And women, uh, they are actually regarded as second citizens, second class citizens. So women slaves will be considered the lowest of the lowest of slaves. But yet, Mary saw it as an honour in order to be able to serve God. Mary, Mary's name uh, is quite interesting uh, because the name actually means rebellion. Uh. The, the name Mary means rebellion. Uh. But we see that she was anything but rebellious. She recognised her servitude as a blessing. She saw it as a blessing to serve God. And she says in Luke chapter 1, verse 48, For behold, henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. And verse 49 says, He that is mighty hath done to me great things. Holy is his name. Great things, when you consider the embarrassment she has to go through, the suffering she has to go through, the trouble that she has to go through, who any of us say is a great thing. But for her, all the things she has endured in order to bring about Jesus, to fulfill God's word, was a great honour to us. And so, brethren, let us demonstrate the same humility like Mary in telling God, Be it unto me according to your word. A lot of times we say, Be it unto me according to your word, but only if your word suits my will. But we have to recognize that even if God's will doesn't suit my will, it's not convenient for me, it goes against what I believe, I must still submit myself to God. You must ask God, Not my will, but thine be done. We see that Mary submitted herself to God's will, even though it went against her personal interest. And to the friends that are among us, are you willing to submit yourself to God's will? Will you tell God, be it unto me according to your word? The Bible tells us why is God's will. God's will is for all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, will you render obedience to God this day in telling God, be it unto me according to your will? We see that that was what the Apostle Paul did. Okay? Uh, before that, he was a persecutor of Christians. But when Ananias tell him, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, we see that Paul responded to the gospel call. The prayer of salvation is something that has been preached time and again. I think that you are familiar with that. We see that God has done his part in sending his son to die for us. Jesus came to this son to shed his blood for us. And the Holy Spirit revealed to us what to do to be saved. If it's your desire to respond to the God's word, to hear the gospel which you have done, to believe his word, to repent of your sins, to confess Jesus as the Son of God, and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And of course, not forgetting to be faithful to him. If you have the urge to respond to God's call, to submit yourself totally to his will, why not let your decision be known, your request be known to those beside you? Okay, let any of us know, I'll be glad to assist you to obey the gospel. Let us now sing the hymn of invitation and encouragement. When we walk with the Lord In the light of His Word What a glory He sheds on our way While we do His good will He abides with us still And with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no 